And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hi, I'm Keith Law. Welcome to episode 96 of the Keith Law Show. I will be joined today by Sarah Langs of MLB, uh, one of their StackCast experts. She and I will talk about some of the most interesting rookies and rookie performances we've seen so far this year with a deeper dive into what the StackCast data indicates about some of them or just some of the things we found most interesting in their StackCast data so far. For subscribers to The Athletic in the last week, I have posted both a second mock draft for this year's MLB draft, which will start on July 17th. My mock projects the first 30 picks, so that is the first round, based on the best available information I have so far on what individual teams are likely to do. I also updated my big board, ranking the top 100 prospects in the draft class, with expanded reports on about 70 of those players. I will continue adding to that until all 100 of those players have expanded reports And we'll be writing some expanded scouting reports also on other players of note, especially ones I think might have a chance to go high, even though I personally do not rank them in the top 100. I will also qualify this by saying just because I didn't rank a player in my top 100 doesn't mean I think he stinks. Some of them are good. Some of them have real major league futures, but there are always more than 100 real prospects in every draft class. And finally, for the mock draft at least, I think it does bear some repeating that This is based on what I really think those teams are likely to do. I do not substitute my own judgment on players. I have opinions on players, obviously, but that doesn't come into play in the mock draft. No team is drafting off of my personal prep list or my own scouting reports, nor should they. They have their own scouts and they have their own R&D departments. They'll use those to drive decisions. And for readers of mine who follow some of my non-baseball work, I have a new post on my personal site, The Dish, which is meadowparty.com slash blog, where I ranked the 50 best novels, in my opinion, published so far this century. So starting from January 1st, 2000 up till the present, I uh, ranked them 50 to 1 with a couple more in the honorable mentions category. Many of you have already suggested some other ones, and obviously everyone has different opinions on these various books, which is great. Uh, This is actually how I get a lot of my own reading suggestions, and I've already added five new books to my own personal wish list on bookshop.org, which is mostly just what I use to keep track of what books I'd like to read. I do order from Bookshop, but I also, when I travel, love to find independent bookstores. I actually just did this in um, Boston a couple of weeks ago. I went back to the Harvard bookstore in Harvard Square, uh, where I have been going on and off, honestly, since I started college, but had probably not been there in close to 10 years at this point. And um, I have to say, it made me really happy to walk downstairs, which is their used and remainder section too, and find it had basically un- it was basically unchanged since the last time I was been there. There's definitely a, a little bit of a comfort in seeing it was exactly what it was like when I went there to shop for uh, comedy and the novel, still my favorite class uh, from my years as an undergrad, where I went down there to pick up as many of the books in the curriculum as I could, including a tattered copy of The Master and Margarita that my roommate and I had both 
we both read, we used it. I kept it for a couple more years and it literally just fell apart, which I always take as a good sign, right? It means the book, um, it died a good death if that's what happened. Now it is my pleasure to be joined by my longtime friend and now repeat Keith Law Show guest, Sarah Langs uh, of MLB. You can find her on Twitter at slangs. So that's slangs on sports. And I highly, re- highly recommend you follow her if you're a fan of baseball, particularly if you are interested in StatCast related insights, which is one reason, at least why you're here today. Welcome, Sarah. Thank you so much for the kind intro and thank you for having me. Always so much fun to chat. So let's talk about, you and I were talking a little bit beforehand about some interesting young players, mostly rookies, uh, and what we're seeing from them so far. You spend your life in StatCast. I assume you just like live inside the code, right? You just sort of swim around in ones and zeros. Exactly. I'm just in the site. I'm permanently embedded in there. There are worse places to be, I think. Yes, definitely. So, and I feel like we are, this year is really fun for young players. A ton of them are coming up. A huge portion of my top 10 prospects, something like seven or eight have already at least appeared in the big leagues. We've got more coming up. We had one went down and now he's back up. So we'll talk about a few of them because of course they haven't all performed like as top, top prospects right out of the gate, which is kind of more interesting, right? If they were all good immediately, it would be kind of boring and then we would have nothing to talk about. Yeah, for sure. But what I love about what they've done is that, you know, talking more generally, there's a couple of redeeming things about almost everybody and what they've done so far. So, for instance, to get into one guy, Bobby Witt Jr., right Mm -hmm. out of the gate, not so great at the plate initially, especially Mm -hmm. that first month. But the thing we saw in his first game and every moment since is that speed. So he is tied with Trey Turner for the fastest average sprint speed in the majors this season, 30.4 feet per second. The context we always give, 27 is MLB average, 30 is elite. And that's just on an individual basis. His average is above elite. It is in that elite (laughs) threshold. I mean, that's insane. And being tied with Trey Turner alone, I think, tells the story. I mean, he is the gold standard for repeatable and game-changing speed in the majors right now. I want to stop you just for one second here, too. Can you just explain quickly what sprint speed is measuring for listeners who don't know? Because I think people don't quite... People might listen and say, well, why isn't it Byron Buxton? He's the fastest player in baseball. For sure. So sprint speed measures a player's top speed in his fastest one second window. So at any point when he's moving, whether it is on a fielding play, going around the bases. And so when we talk about average sprint speed, that is the average of all of those fastest one second windows. So when we see a play, a guy runs down to first, we can do base to base time and say, hey, it took him four seconds to get from home to first. But we can also say, hey, his max sprint speed during this run was 30 plus feet per second, which means he hit that sort of elite threshold. So to your point about people maybe not processing fully what it is, I see a lot of people kind of try to translate it to miles per hour, but this isn't a constant sustained speed. It is your top speed. 
So we're showing off the best of the best because that's what baseball is all about, but really good call there uh, to define that. And I hope that helps. So, you know, on a normal play again, 27 is that MLB average 30 plus is elite. Yeah, it does help. And I, I tend to get a little caught up in it too, because I see, you know, you and I are we're numbers people, right? You put a number in front of us, the immediate reaction is like, Oh, well, that's elite. That puts him at the top. Oh, he's an 80 runner. And it may not necessarily play out that way because what you're measuring, especially because what you're measuring is different from the way that scouts have traditionally measured yes. speed. We're often just measuring home to first. I mean, you 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 know what I'm talking about. I'm like, man, in the I've got an invisible stopwatch in my hand right now. The stopwatch yeah. is actually over there. I don't think there's any reason to go get it necessarily. But I I did have Bobby Witt, I think, as an 80 runner, even in high school. I thought 80 runner and 80 arm. That's a pretty good place to start because he was also a pitcher. He was more obviously far more prospect as a shortstop. But if you've got that kind of game-changing speed and you've got an arm that will basically allow you to play anywhere on the diamond, we can do something with that. That's a pretty good starting point. But what we've seen so far from Wit at the plate, maybe not quite what we expected. And one thing that I thought was interesting, I'm curious your reaction to, I just pulled it up to make sure this was still true, is that He's actually kind of struggled with fastballs, which is generally not what you expect. You think a prospect is going to come up and, well, he's seen velocity before, but probably hasn't seen a lot of big league sliders or a guy who can locate his change up much better than the double and triple A pitchers can. And so you can talk specifically about Witt if you have a thought on that board or generally when you see a player who seems to be struggling specifically on fastballs, specifically on one pitch type. What, how do you interpret that as, again, as somebody who lives within the data? I think for him, it's really just a matter of getting comfortable. You know, we've obviously we see that with any guy when he first comes up. And as you alluded to, I mean, his worst batting average against a pitch is against fastballs. But I don't always look at batting average against pitch types, especially in a small sample size like this, because it only considers the last pitch of the plate appearance, right? So if he swings wildly at a 1-0 fastball and nothing happens except that he misses, you're not getting or losing credit there. So to that end, he's swinging and missing a lot more on off-speed and breaking, not significantly so, but I think that is kind of more of that, you know, rookie pattern that you're referring to. Mm -hmm. But I don't have the exact numbers in front of me, but I was talking about him on a broadcast last week. And if you look at the quality of contact he's making, so we talk a lot about barrels in the stack cast world, which are essentially the ideal combination of launch angle and exit velocity. He is barreling up the ball a lot more since the beginning of May. I think that a lot with his stats is skewed to that first month where he wasn't really performing uh, the way he would want to. But overall, he's making better contact, you know, I mean, not to categorize or, you know, generalize, but a lot of the issues that if you look at with him, he was chasing a lot, which feels like a rookie, um, you know, not taking the swings or making the decisions that he's used to making, swinging and missing more, so on and so forth. I think that a prospect of this caliber has the ability to calm down the plate and not let those linger. 
just so listeners don't get concerned, I agree. I'm not actually worried about him, but I do find it very interesting to look at because again, and this is going to be our theme, I think, for the entire conversation today is they're not all performing across the board right out of the gate. And that's fine. But I think it's also can be illustrative maybe to look and see, all right, where is a player maybe underperforming? And do we think that's something that is likely to last? Or is that something that is likely to turn around if he gets more experience? Uh, Another player, another rookie who's gotten a ton of attention, who I think it's very also kind of got off to a slower start, but has been much better. I don't know if it's May 1st or just seems like the last six, seven weeks or so is Julio Rodriguez. Uh, And I will say, it's funny you brought up sprint speed for Bobby Witt. I'd seen Julio Rodriguez a few times. I didn't know he was that fast. I thought he was, I thought he could run. But holy cow, after seeing some of him in the majors, both on the bases and in the outfield, it's like, oh, okay, my speed grade on him was probably wrong. He just looks like a force of nature. And I mean that in the best way possible. So we're talking about sprint speed. He is tied for the fifth highest sprint speed. Look at everybody with at least 50 competitive runs. He's at 29.6 as his average. So again, right there with that elite 30. It's Trey Turner, Bobby Witt, Jorge Mateo, who we know can fly. Tyler O'Neill and then Ahmed Rosario and Julio Rodriguez tied, which is amazing because two completely different body types and types of players, even just with him and Rosario. And I think everyone in front of him. But you mentioned uh, Byron Buxton earlier, and I see that Buxton potential in Rodriguez with hitting the ball hard. And running really fast. So, you know, there's a stat about guys who are in the 90th percentile or better in sprint speed and barrel rate. And uh, it's Buxton, Trout, Jazz Chisholm, sometimes someone else comes on, leaves the list, so on and so forth. Acuna when he's healthy. But it's basically those three guys right now. If Julio Rodriguez continues to make the contact he's making, he will eventually be there. He's 72nd percentile in barrel rate right now, but that's also including, you know, as you were mentioning, a lot of that early part of his call-up where he wasn't exactly performing the way he is now. But you look at this guy who has hit a ball. I mean, his max exit velocity, 115. Mm -hmm. He's doing things like that, and he's, you know, top five in sprint speed. He's just a joy to watch. And I think there is that kind of Buxton-esque potential there in a really good way in terms of being a really explosive player. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Yeah, I agree. And I had him probably a bit too low coming into the season. Honestly, one of the things, one of the bigger reasons, I had him in the top 10, obviously, I think he's going to be a star. So it wasn't that, but just relative to some of the other players thinking, is this a player who's really likely to stay in the middle of the field over the next six to 10 years? And I thought he had more chance to move to a corner, maybe than actually probably most of the other players I had in the top 10, a lot of whom were shortstops and catchers. And now in his kind of care, I had one Riley Green, had him in center. Frankly, at this point, I think that's probably wrong. Julio Rodriguez with speed like that, even if he loses some speed as he gets older and he's going to get bigger because obviously you see his frame, you describe him as a force of nature. I think that's pretty good. Actually, it also probably gives people a little bit of a sense of just how physical this kid is. He will get bigger. He might lose some speed. Probably won't matter. Probably still will be good enough to continue to stay in center I think for a pretty long time because it's hard to see him. If we think of him as an 80 runner now, he's in the 97th percentile by sprint speed. How low is he really going to go? He's not going to be an average runner. That would be such a crazy loss of speed that at least I know I have to rethink where I thought of him, thought of his body going and thought of his defensive position profile for the next, like I said, six to 10 years of his career. He's tied with Harrison Bader in outs above average in center field right now. Harrison Bader just won a gold glove, probably could have won one the year before as well. But if we look at the outs above average leaderboard in center, Jose Siri has seven, Christian Pache has six. There's a whole bunch of guys at five, including Bader, Julio, Trent Grisham, Byron Buxton, excuse me, (laughs) and Miles Straw. That's really elite. I mean, those are the athletic game-changing center fielders we have right now. So I'm not going to say you were wrong. You say you were wrong. You can say it. (laughs) No, no, no. But it really feels like his body is helping him play that position, to your point. So let's talk about O'Neal Cruz, just because he's kind of the talk of the town right now, based on one game, I think, before we had this conversation. Of course, we saw him very briefly last year, but I assume you've seen the highlight of the the throw, just capital T, throw he made. I will tell you what I find fascinating about Cruz, and I'll just throw out there too, I've said previously on this podcast, he should have been higher on my rankings. I think I just have a very hard time categorizing him because we don't have comparables. He's a six seven shortstop who can really throw and can really run. You can see later in the game, actually, he showed off the speed and he's got power and he seems to hit the ball extremely hard. I think Petriella treated one, tweeted one of the exit velocities. It was close to 120. This isn't normal. We don't really have a good comparison. And I admit it, somebody who I evaluate the players individually, but I always try to come back to what's the profile? What is the base rate for players who have this set of characteristics? He's in his own bucket. There's There just isn't anybody else like him that I can think of. You know, the only, I don't know if you'll know this, you're, I almost feel like this might be too, this player might be too long ago. Do you know the only other player, his height, 6'7", or taller, is to play shortstop in the major leagues? No. Do you remember Joel Guzman? 
He didn't play very yeah. much. That's who it was. And he wasn't good. Wow. So end of one, and he and he wasn't a shortstop. And I'm not saying that swayed my opinion on Neil Cruz, but it does speak to how difficult it is, I think, to talk about a player like Cruz where he if he succeeds, and I think he's going to succeed somewhere, he'll be the first of his kind to do so. He's like a creative player, you know? <laughs> I mean, we talk about Joey Otani being so unique, and I think he's unique like Otani in his own way. It's like, to your point, you take Giancarlo Stanton, with Tatis's arm, if not a healthy Aaron Hicks's arm, mm. and you put that all together at shortstop. I mean, it doesn't exist, except it does. And we've seen him. And uh, that throw, 96.7 miles an hour in the infield. I was stressed out that it was going to break the first baseman's glove. <laughs> I mean, oh, my gosh. It was what... Uh, Fastest throw by an infielder this year and the third fastest uh, on an assist by an infielder tracked by StatCast. The only two higher Tatis, who, of course, played in the outfield last year in part because of his arm. But, you know, last year he had five batted balls at the major league level Mm -hmm. and the fastest was 118.2. I mean, that's the Stantonian. He had 112.9 in his uh, first game of the season on Monday night. And as you mentioned, he had like a 121.7 in the minors this year. I mean, this is just what he does. Uh, Again, he has four batted balls so far this season. One of them was a barrel. There are plenty of major leaguers who don't have a barrel yet or only have one or two. It's really cool to watch. (laughs) And I'm excited for us to learn what this can be at shortstop because it's so atypical. It feels like I like your he's a creative player. What if our judge was a shortstop? Right. That's just people would be like, no, no, that's not a thing. And yet here it is. Here it is. Yeah. I remember seeing him. He was probably 19 or so. It was after the trade. He was already in a Pirates uniform. He was in Florida. And I watched him run around and at shortstop. And I just thought, I was in the, at Clearwater. So it was a minor league spring training game. And I just thought, no, no. That's just not a thing, right? It just breaks your brain. Whether you're looking at him on the paper or for me in that case, it was, no, that is too. That's that's too tall. We just—he's not allowed to play shortstop. That's just right. Isn't there some sort of height limit on those guys? It just looks so strange. Of course, I think he was standing next to two guys who were about six foot too. So it just—he stood out even more in that regard. Well, because that's our infielders are short historically. Well, even Tatis seems so tall. Yes, they're short. I mean, he looks like basketball player to me. Yes, and then you have O'Neill Cruz, and I do want to mention. Uh, I didn't even, as I was concocting the player, <laughs> we also have Bobby Witt Jr. Speed here, or yes. Trey Turner, or whoever else you want to say. He had in that first game of the year. Uh, three runs at 29.9 feet per second or faster. So one that was just barely sub elite and then two that were super elite. One was like 31.5, which peak behind the curtain is something where I'll look into the data to make sure it's right. Because sometimes that's a 
glitch. Yep. It was not. It was him. Yeah. I mean, it's <laughs> it's so cool. It's funny you mentioned that too because it's the, uh, you know, I'll look at data. I have data sources for you know even some college and high school stuff, and you'll see one. It's. 98 mile an hour slider what and then you watch it's like oh, i was coded wrong okay it's clearly there was exactly. one there was one picture i won't say who it was but you'll appreciate this where i'm looking and i realize the velocity ranges on his change up which is pretty good and his slider which is not very good are almost coterminous like they're just way too close and after watching a bunch of the pitches i realized that they're just not tagged universally correctly right there's just yeah. some of them that's actually a bad slider but whoever was doing it, whether it's done by AI or I think in this case it's done by hand, right? Nobody's perfect. I do it wrong with games too. But there were a bunch of them that were wrong because the, one of the tells is just the velocity, right? You just look. Yeah. If, oh, yeah. Fastball or change up. Fastball or slider. Like if the, if the pitches aren't that good and it's hard to distinguish, the radar gun bails you out sometimes. But you do get those, you get those glitches. You get those radar gun glitches. Yeah. I mean, that happens with... Uh... When guys get injured, you know, not to get again to uh, inside baseball for anyone, but we've seen it all the time. A guy who throws 95 comes out, hurts his arm, he's throwing 89 and yeah. saying he's throwing a career high number of changeups. And it's like, nope, no, he's just hurt. <laughs> this isn't good, you yep. know. So to that end, you know, I'm staring at the data on O'Neill Cruz. It's like, no, this is real, which is just incredible. That's amazing. Um, another player I wanted to talk a little bit about, and honestly, I'm bringing him up because readers have been asking, Michael Harris with Atlanta, uh, one of their top prospects coming into this season. I might have actually had him as their top guy after the trade. He has gotten off to a really good start, but I will say I am uh, a little concerned about the impatience of the top 50 rookies so far, rookie position players in the majors, just ranked by plate appear- plate, by total plate appearances. He's the second lowest walk rate of any of those guys. Only Kyle Isbell, who's just not been very good, is lower. And I noticed that in particular from my own scouting of Harris. I saw Harris in mid to late June, probably about this week last year, actually. His team came through Wilmington and was like, he can really run, great athlete, like the swing, can really hit a fastball, really struggled on off-speed stuff. And if he fell behind, pitchers could expand the zone. He had huge trouble. He did make some adjustments. He was much better in that regard the rest of the year. So I still ranked him, I think, pretty aggressively, all things considered. Comes up to the majors, performing very well overall, 346 average, 580 slug. But he's not patient. He's not showing that kind of pitch plate discipline, at least. Same question kind of as I asked before. Have you seen anything particular when you in Harris's numbers? Or just what do you generally think when you see a player who is showing this kind of just general lack of patience, lack of distinction between balls and strikes. What's your reaction uh, to seeing a player who's uh, got a stack cast profile like that? Well, as you alluded to, I mean, he's chasing 38% of the time. That is 10 percentage points above the major league average. He's also swinging more than half the time, which is above the major league average. So, you know, it's not hard to see what the issue might be, you know, calm down, take a pitch, all of that. (laughs) As to whether guys can really turn that around, I mean, I do think a lot of this is characteristic of first few, you know, months, weeks in the majors. 
But the guy I really think of who changed his plate discipline is Austin Riley. He wrote that great story about last year. Yeah, last year. Last year. Thank about you. changing what he did with two strikes, pitch recognition, all of that. And I wonder, with this being the same organization, whether he could go down that path as well. He doesn't have the exact same profile. He's not the slugger that Riley is um, to unlock that. But I, I do think of that whenever I see a young player, a young hitter struggling in that way was the way that Riley changed. But I do want to say Harris is, you know, we're talking about electric guys so far. He's so much fun to watch in the field. As you were saying, he's speedy. He had that triple early on in his career, and now he has a couple of home runs. He is so much fun to watch from every other standpoint, and he's fun to watch at the plate as well, but everything else is there. So I think it's a question of figuring that out at the plate. Uh, one more player I wanted to ask you about. Uh, if the season ended right now, and if I had an AL Rookie of the Year ballot, neither one of those things is true. I think Jeremy Payton is the Rookie of the Year in the American League. And I have to say, I had seen a little bit of Jeremy Payton. He is a completely different player and I think different person than even what I remembered from last year. He came back very late last year. Obviously, he missed most of the season. But he was posting some pictures of himself. You've probably seen these this offseason. He was ripped. And I just remember going back when Pena was coming out of the University of Maine, that you know, baseball hotbed. And oh. everyone said, great kid. You really play defense. I wish he could hit. It was just like the people did not even think of the possibility of him being this kind of player. When they're saying that, it wasn't that he swung and missed at some horrible rate, but that he was small and didn't really hit the ball very hard and there wasn't going to be any power at all. And he, the concern with players like that is kind of what I've always said about Nick Madrigal. You have to hit the ball harder just to be a hitter because the quality of pitching is so good. If you're not turning it around with enough strength they're not going to fall in for hits. They're not going to have sufficient exit velocity, et cetera. And I'm pulling, I just pulled up Jeremy Pena's page, and it seems like those concerns were maybe a little bit misplaced. I mean, he's been so much fun to watch. <laughs> I, I just love it. And, I mean, going back to his first home run, it was one of those Apple TV games. I don't know if you're watching this. I was watching live. Heidi Watney was talking to his parents. He comes up. He hits a home run while his parents are being interviewed live on TV. I mean, there's literally nothing better than that. You have your parents' live reaction to your first home run. Just an incredible, incredible moment. I do think the hitting the ball hard part might still be a little bit of a concern. He's right around major league average and hard hit rate, but nothing super notable. But his expected stats are pretty good, and the real reason is the angle at which he's hitting the ball. So his sweet spot rate, which is how often you make essentially ideal contact mm -hmm. in terms of launch angle, is above average. So before anyone gets all concerned about launch angle, all that's about is maximizing how often you hit line drives, which is like the point of baseball. Mm -hmm. And so he's doing that a whole lot. He's hitting the ball just hard enough. And he's been really, really great. I mean, and as you mentioned, 
defense, speed, none of that was a concern. And he's 97th percentile in outs above average and sprint speed. And again, those expected stats, expected batting average, expected slugging percentage, have him above average, above average in barrel rate as well. So he's certainly not, if you had told me that profile of someone who, oh, he's just not going ahead and you didn't put a name to it, I never would have guessed it was him based on what he's done at the major league level. He is incredibly fun to watch, especially because I just think of him as a guy who people largely didn't give much of a chance. And when those guys become really good big league players, when they become even okay big league players, that's one of the most enjoyable parts of the job. The guy where I just, not, not even that I was wrong, I just didn't even... It wasn't even a possibility. No one was considering Jeremy Pena might turn into this. And now he is, and it looks like he's going to be at least a good big leaguer for a long time. Whether he wins Rookie of the Year or not, it's kind of beside the point. This guy wasn't even supposed to do what he's already doing. And if this is... I love that. Isn't it great? Those are the players you root for. I'm trying to think who it was the other night. Oh, it was Buddy Kennedy, where you know he's the, he will never be more than the second best player ever to come from Millville, New Jersey, yes. unfortunately. But he's a good little player. And there yeah. was the shot of him hitting his first home run. And they turned to, I think, his parents and his grandfather, his Don Money. Yeah. They were, right? They're going berserk in the stands. And Buddy was, you know, late draft pick. Southern New Jersey players don't make it very often. He defied all the odds. That's great. Those are the guys we should absolutely root for. Not that you're rooting against the Bobby Witt Juniors, but these guys are the great stories. And I, I always come back to, like, that's some eight-year-old who was playing in his backyard, imagining that he was the one up with two outs in the bottom of the ninth. We all know that feeling. Like, he got there. He got to play in the big leagues. And how can, you know, it's, I hate to use the line, but how can you not be romantic about baseball? Yes, exactly. I mean, and that's what's so much fun just about rookies and prospects in general. I mean, no matter the age that they come up, we get these cool stories and no matter how long they end up staying in the majors. I mean, the same day as Buddy Kennedy hit the grand slam for his first ground run, Herrera Encarnacion mm. of the Marlins did the exact same thing for his first hit and he had a stolen base and an outfield assist. And there was this incredible video from the Marlins Twitter after the game of him embracing his cousin. And it was this whole story about how I believe his brother had passed away. His brother always believed in him. And the fact that his family was there to witness that moment, they were all crying after the game. And he won the team the game. You know, he had a grand slam for his first career hit against a bases load Chris Bassett left after pitching decently well to that point. I mean, it was incredible. And you know, I don't know where Harar and Carnacion will be in 10 years. I don't know if he'll get to 10 years of service time. We just don't know what the future holds. But that moment is amazing, no matter what. And it's just awesome to see careers beginning for guys, you know, regardless of how they end. There's something amazing about that beginning moment. My guest today has been the great Sarah Langs of MLB. You can and should follow her on Twitter 
at Slangs on Sports. And I just w- went to look it up. You have two Instagram accounts. What's your public, the one for people to follow for MLB the stuff? Slangs MLB. Thank you. At S- yes, at Slangs, Slangs MLB. MLB. Perfect. On Instagram as well. Sarah, it's been a pleasure. Thanks so much for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, my, always so much fun to chat with you. That's all for this week's show. Thanks so much for listening. I uh, already have my guest lined up for next week. It'll be Jason Kander, who many of you might know from Twitter. He is a very big Royals fan. He has got a new book coming out called The Invisible Storm about his experiences as a veteran and his time dealing with PTSD from uh, his military service. I'm really looking forward to that conversation. We'll talk about his book and we'll talk a little bit about baseball as well. In the meantime, thanks so much for listening. Stay safe. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.